to Disorderly Dogs, the podcast for dog owners. If you find yourself in precarious predicaments with your dog, this podcast is for you. I'm Rachel Harris. I'm a certified professional dog trainer, and I hope to give you a fresh outlook on your dog's behavior and practical dog training advice. Reactive dog guardians. If your dog lunges, barks, generally loses it. The dogs, people, squirrels, skateboards, we have a free mini course just for you. Head over to agoodfeelingdogtraining.com, click free resource to get started on your reactive dog training journey today. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Disorderly Dogs, the podcast. I am seriously so glad that you are here. Um, I truly love doing this podcast, and it's been so fun to connect with all you wonderful people who find the podcast and find me on Instagram. If you don't already, follow me on Instagram at a good feeling underscore NCO. I post a ton of free training content over there, and I think you might get some extra inspiration and reassurance from following me over there if you're just a podcast listener. So in today's episode, I want to talk about fallout um, and the fallout from using punishment, corrections, aversives. Um, so I know for you wonderful people listening right now who are just dog guardians, you are not dog professionals, you are not dog trainers. Um, there is a lot of division in the dog train- training industry as a whole. Um, to give you a little bit of a frame of reference, here in the U.S., dog training is completely unregulated, meaning any Yahoo who has watched one dog training episode of a certain dog whisperer can call themselves a dog trainer and charge money. Um, it is a huge problem. It is something that I think that um, the positive reinforcement community has been working to solve. Um, here in Colorado, dog training, again, is completely unregulated. And, you know, it's, it's a tricky thing for me because I am not the type of person who wants there to be government oversight. I really don't. But this is really one of those circumstances in which there has to be because there is way too much at stake. Um, there are wonderful people and wonderful dogs who suffer really horrible consequences from dog training being unregulated. And that is why I wanted to do this episode on fallout. Because I think that, especially in the Instagram world, um, I could see how confusing it would be from the dog guardian perspective, right? There's all these people telling you, you have to put your dog in their place. Pinch collars don't hurt. E-collars don't hurt. There's no fallout from those things. This is the only way to train a dog. And then obviously, you know, you all are listening to me and I'm telling you the opposite of that. And I want to help you understand some of my personal experience with this. Um, So there have been decades and decades of research really proving how pinch collars, um, e-collars, punishment, corrections, how um, the animal's welfare is so at stake when we use those things. Um, So there is decades and decades of peer-reviewed science that tells us all of this. Um, But I think that sometimes that is hard for people to internalized. So I'm hoping that some of my personal experience and some of the stories I'm going to share with you here help you understand um, why I don't use corrections, punishment, aversives as best as I can um, and why I don't think that you should either. So 
I have been training professionally for going on 10 years now, right? So I have a lot of experience. Um, My primary caseload is reactive and aggressive dogs. So dogs who have a lot of feelings, dogs who will put their teeth into people and other dogs. And over my career, um, I would say, you guys, honestly, no joke, probably 75% of my clients have come to me after working with punishment-based trainers Um, And I am called to pick up the pieces and repair the relationships. Um, And it is really, really hard because there's so much at stake. Oftentimes, by the time people find me, they've already invested thousands of dollars in training. Um, So not only are they out thousands of dollars, but their dog's behavior, um, best case scenario, hasn't improved at all. And worst case scenario is significantly worse. Um, And then I have to explain to them, right, that the thousands of dollars that they invested in all the corrections and stuff that they have been doing um, has caused damage. And unfortunately, in some time, uh, in some circumstances, um, long term damage that cannot be reversed. Um, So I think that it's really, really important for all you awesome people listening to know that finding a professional dog trainer who is actually qualified to help you and is not going to leave you. Um, out a bunch of money and your dog's behavior worse is not an easy thing to do. I did an episode all about finding a dog trainer. We will be sure to link that up in the show notes so that you can find that. So if you're trying to find a trainer, um, know that we've, we've got a framework for you. So hopefully you can avoid this and you do not have to be one of my clients who is coming to me post <laughs> spending a lot of money and working with a trainer who is very aversion, correction, punishment based. Okay, so um, oftentimes, right, um, corrections and aversion and punishment is, you know, it's brought to your attention and is is put in the framework of you have to do this, right? Your dog is never going to get better if you don't punish, you don't correct. And um, I want you all to know that that couldn't be any further from the truth. Like I said, for the last 10 years, I have been successfully helping reactive and aggressive dogs thrive using only positive reinforcement, Um, There is a lot of unintended fallout that happens when we use punishment and aversives. And sometimes you don't see it right away, right? There are short-term results. There are absolutely short-term results when you use punishment, right? So um, I know that like the pinch collar and the e-collar world is always like, you know, slap the thing on the dog right away. They stop doing the unwanted behavior. But no, that is just short-term results. That is not going to be long-term. It's not going to work long-term. Um, and in fact, there could be long, um, dire long-term consequences for using those things. Um And, you know, fallout is one of those things that you don't see it right away. And at first you don't recognize it for what it is, but I want to help you understand what fallout is and why we don't use it. So um, fallout can have a lot of different manifestations. It can look differently for every dog, every human, every team. Um, But I I want to tell you some stories of some previous clients that were using aversion and there was definitely some fallout and we were able to intervene. So The first story I want to tell you about um, is about Andy, who, when I met him, was a seven-month-old border collie. Um, And Andy came from a really lovely breeder. Um, His lines had really good temperament. And I got called in because at seven months old, um, border collie Andy had landed his first human bite. 
and his people were just beside themselves. They couldn't understand why he would bite someone. They didn't know what they were doing wrong. They had owned border collies for years and years and years and years. And um, as I started to ask questions and unpack, something that came to my attention was an e-fence. So um, I don't know if you all are familiar with this, but there are a lot of communities, neighborhoods that have HOAs and they're not allowed to have fences for whatever reason. So there's a big industry in e-fences. So essentially it's like a charged wire that gets planted, um, dug like dug into the surface area of the yard, and then they put an e-collar on the dog. So if they approach the fence, they get um, a shock from the e-collar. So this family was really well-meaning, right? They had had border collies for years and years, and all of their border collies had been on the e-fence, and they hadn't really had any problems. Well, Andy really showed them why the e-fence was a really bad plan. So Andy had been on the collar for the e-fence as a puppy puppy. So he came to them at eight weeks old. So from eight weeks until seven months when I met them, Andy had been on like, you know, receiving the message that if you approach people or dogs that walk by, you're going to get shocked for it. Okay. So it makes plenty of sense that at this point in Andy's life, he did not have great associations with people or dogs because every time he went to the edge of the, the e-fence, he was punished, right? By the electric charge from the collar. And they lived in a very busy neighborhood. So there was a lot of traffic going on. Well, you know, after months and months of that building, um, Andy did uh, break the fence. Um, So he ran over the fence and he did bite someone. Um, Thankfully, it was just a bite and let go and they were able to get him away. But we had to work so freaking hard, you guys, um, to help Andy understand that people and dogs, in fact, were not the sign of punishment. Um, and unfortunately, um, in, in Andy's case, um, Andy made a lot of progress. We worked together for months. Andy ended up staying with me for a while. I did a board and train with him. And thankfully, he has not bit anyone since then. But he still has a lot of baggage around people and dogs because of the fallout from the punishment of the e-fence. Okay, and, you know, I wish that I had like this rainbows and and puppies story to tell you that now Andy is perfect and he's great with people, um, but that is not the truth, right? Even as an adult dog, Andy still struggles with some of the fallout from the punishment he experienced from being on the e-fence, okay? And I think that it's really easy on Instagram to be like, don't use punishment, eat collars hurt, pinch collars hurt. And I mean, they fucking do, right? So like, I'm, I'm, I'm telling the truth. But my hope is really sharing these stories of, of the situations where it really happens so you can really understand the unintended consequences and the fallout that unfortunately, in this case, in Andy's case, um, never went away. Right. And thankfully, his people are wonderful. And they stepped up to the plate. And you know, he's living a, a full life. But Um, not as full as he could have if there was never the e-fence in his life, right? Okay, so I want to tell you another story um, about a mixed breed dog um, who was working with a trainer who insisted that the pinch collar was the only way to go um, and some of the fallout from that. 
So pinch collars, right? If you guys aren't familiar, they look like barbaric torture devices, but they're metal and you put them around the dog's neck. And when they pull, these little prongs push into the dog's neck. So, um, so, okay. So this mixed breed dog, and I'm going to keep him anonymous for now because I did not get permission from his guardian to talk about him, but I was called in because the dog was extremely leash reactive. So on the leash, the dog was barking, lunging. I mean, just like meltdown status. And the dog was pretty big and the female owner was having a really hard time controlling him. So she had already invested a lot of time and money in another trainer who said that the pinch collar was the way and that every time he did that just to correct the shit out of him. So when I got called in, the female owner was realizing that the dog had several lesions on his neck from overuse of the pinch collar, right? And she called me and she's like, this cannot be right. I literally am like digging this thing into my dog's neck and it is only getting worse, right? So she was correcting. She was following all of the instructions that she had gotten from the previous trainer and his behavior was only getting worse, okay? So when I, when I got called in, I immediately, naturally, I was like, no more pinch collar because the dog had wounds. Like he was bleeding. He was literally bleeding because the pinch collar was being embedded in his neck, essentially, every time he went out on a walk. So we shifted him. Um, oh, I forgot to mention also that the dog had recently redirected and bit the owner's arm after she had corrected the dog. Um, so the dog saw another dog started pulling. She corrected the dog with the pinch collar by pulling up on it. The dog redirected and bit her arm. So, um, they both had physical damage (laughs) when I got called in. Um, and he was, I want to say he was like a year old when I got called in and she'd been doing this training for like mm, four months. Right. So she'd been really trying to follow through and do everything that the trainer had, had, had told her. Um, and at that point she was like, I, I really, I just despise this dog. He is the bane of my existence. It is making everything horrible. And she was really vulnerable and being honest with how she was feeling. And I, and I didn't blame her. Right. So what we did is one, we got the dog off the pinch collar and two, we stopped walking near triggers and I just put him on a harness. Right. And what we did was a lot of relationship building and working on the communication between the dog and the handler, right? So that was my main focus because we had to backtrack, right? Like there was so much fallout from all of the corrections, both physical and emotional to both parties that we had to do a little bit of damage control and work on rebuilding their relationship, right? So we did some big changes to their routine, what I was asking of them. We took walks off the table for a short amount of time. And then um, through a lot of time and dedication on the human's owner and really unlearning and uninternalizing some of the things that she got from the previous trainer, we put the dog on a harness, we got cookies into the equation. And This particular dog is a wonderful success story because now he is not leash reactive. He has not bit anyone. He actually walks like a dream on the leash now. Um, But there was a lot of early fallout when we were trying to switch things, right? Because the owner's attempt to get the dog's attention was futile because the dog was like, fuck you. I'm not looking at you. Every time I've seen a dog in the past, you have been choking the shit out of me. Like, why do you think I'm going to talk to you now? 
And if you've listened to the podcast before and you've listened to me talk about aversion, um, punishment-based training, I'm always very clear with you that there is going to be a learning curve. It doesn't just get to be we take the aversion out of the situation, we put cookies in our pocket, and it's all rainbows and puppies because that is not the way that we it works, right? You have been telling your dog time and time again that if you see a dog, I'm going to correct the shit out of you. That takes time to unlearn. And thankfully, in this particular case... The dog was able to, but I will be honest, it was probably a good year of time and effort before it was functional to the point where she could just walk the dog and she wasn't at all worried about like reactivity or being redirected on. So there was a lot of fallout, right, that happened both for the human and the dog. So again, you all, I really hope by sharing this story, it can help you understand that, you know, the positive reinforcement community, we're not trying to like shit talk the other side. We're trying to save you and your dog from a lifetime of fallout and despair and power struggle. It's terrible. I don't want that for you. I don't want that for your dog. And, you know, from a financial standpoint, I don't want you to be out a ton of money and not have anything to show for it either. Okay. So, I want to share one more story of fallout and it's a little bit different because it's not because of pinch collars or e-collars. It's, it's some fallout from other <laughs> aversions. So for those of you who've been listening for a while, you already know Waylon. He is a wild animal. I love and adore him, but he has had three separate encounters with a porcupine. So Waylon has been quilled a total of three times, okay? And Waylon will be five this year. So they've, you know, there's been a gap in between those. It hasn't been like back to back. So most recently he was quilled in the spring. And I have noticed some very blatant fallout from that last quilling that is really heartbreaking but also a bit out of my control okay so something that has come up a lot is Waylon has been um, freezing startling and even um, running bolting from things on the trail so he will see a rock I don't know what it is about the rock. Maybe the rock smells like a porcupine. I do not know. And he will panic, right? His ears will go back. His tail will be tucked. He will be like, I cannot go this way. It is not safe. And unfortunately, sometimes he has bolted away in that much fear. And that, unfortunately has been happening more and more since the last quilling. And for those of you who are listening, you're like, wow, Rachel, you're a really shitty dog owner. The dog's been quilled by a porcupine on three different occasions. Hey, do me a favor. Um, Listen to the episode about his initial quilling and my perspective on it. Um, You guys, if your dog has never had crazy wildlife encounters, consider yourself lucky. But I assure you, if you do a lot of outdoor stuff, that dog will show up for you at some point. So (laughs) there's that. But um. Another recent example of some of that fallout happened. We were at our family property in Southern Colorado and there was a boa, like a feather boa. Um, And I didn't even think twice about it. Well, Waylon panicked. I have never seen him so scared in his entire five years of life. Um, His pupils were so dilated. He was running, he was hiding, he was barking. Um, and I think that that is fallout from the aversive experience of getting quilled again. And I think that the moral of the story here, you guys, is that aversive events, whether they're caused by us or not, 
carry fallout. There are unintended consequences of that fear that translate to things that the animal perceives in their environment. And, you know, it's one of those things that my husband and I were talking about it. And it's like, well, hopefully this means that if he did encounter a porcupine again, he would not get quilled. Um, But that is such a rare occurrence that he would encounter a porcupine. And I got to be honest, you guys, like seeing my overly confident dog all of a sudden start to be afraid of these things that he was never afraid of before. It is really heartbreaking. Um, And I think that there is a lot of argument from the side of like punishment and correction is that like dogs are tough and they can handle correction and they can handle punishment. And Waylon is totally one of those dogs who would fall under that category, right? He's a bully breed. He's really confident. He's not afraid of a lot. And I think that this just goes to show that even a confident dog who is a hardy bully breed is still... (laughs) a living, breathing, emotional creature, and there's still a lot of room for fallout, okay? So I think that I have really built my entire career on training intentionally and focusing on the welfare of the animal and the human and getting wonderful, wicked, awesome results along the way. And I have some really fantastic clients who have come to me after using a lot of punishment and you know, they have really stepped up to the plate to shift things and they have been wildly successful. Um, but unfortunately, that doesn't always mean that we can get rid of some of the damage, right? Um, that is why I don't use punishment or corrections or aversion in my dog training because I know the consequences of fallout and it's super unethical to charge money for something that could have potential fallout like that. So just know, you guys, that punishment, corrections, aversions, <laughs> Um, may have short-term results, but they will 100% have dire long-term results, no matter how confident or what breed of dog it is. So I hope that this was some good perspective for you all. Um, Like I said, I love doing this podcast. I love connecting with you guys. Um, If you have any feedback on this, hey, tag me on Instagram. Take a screenshot of this episode and tag me over on Instagram at a good feeling underscore NCO and let me know how I kind of hopefully changed your mind on this. All right, everyone have a beautiful weekend. Smooch those puppies for me. I'm already looking forward to the next episode. All right, everybody. I know that CBD is a hot topic and rightfully so. There's a lot of misinformation surrounding CBD, but I tell you what, there's a lot of pretty amazing evidence for how amazing CBD can be for not only humans, but also for our pets. Uh, The ladies at VetCS were on the podcast recently. It was episode 148. Give it a listen. You will learn a lot. Um, But I use VetCS products for me. I use VetCS products for the dogs. And I tell you what, Tiva, as she ages, the CBD is just amazing for her arthritis. And Waylon greatly benefits from the CBD too. So if you've been considering CBD for you or for your pet, check out VetCS.com. And you can use code DisorderlyDogs for 10% 10% off your first purchase.